on a, on a daily basis, a weekly basis, your, your success habits, what leads to this continued and sustained success for you? You know, I think, you know, we try to get better every day and we're always trying to get better and we're always trying to figure out how to provide a better service. I mean, really, if you focus on client service and providing a good value, you know, we're charging a lot of money for these divorces and custody and all of this stuff and people need to get value. And the number one thing clients don't want from attorneys, everybody's like, they want results. No. They won't, they won't, they won't value for what they're paying and they want somebody to listen and they want an advocate. You know, most surveys like results are like fourth or fifth. And if attorneys would just provide a good service, I spend time, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, of course, I listen to your podcast, other podcasts, but I listen to podcasts for people that are Disney people. Creating Disney Magic with Lee Cockrell is one of my favorite ones. There's a, there was one out there called Five Star Council, where the guy's an attorney who used to work at the Four Seasons, where you talk about, it's all about customer service and leadership, right? And I try to hammer home to the people that work for me is that we're in the customer service business. We're no different than Starbucks or McDonald's or anything else. The decision to buy legal services is the exact same decision. You buy off a motion, you justify later, but people want a service. And what people expect, they expect lawyers to be Amazon. They click something on their website and it's on their porch in three hours. If they call their lawyer, they expect a call back that day. If they email their lawyer, they're expecting an email back that day. And lawyers just don't do that. And if you could just do that, and it doesn't have to be you, it can be a secretary or a paralegal or somebody to respond to the email or return the call. That will go a long way in providing customer service. And if your customers are happy, I don't actually control the results, right? The facts control the results. Most of the time, the result is in before they ever get here. Hey, law firm owners. Welcome to the Your Practice Mastered podcast. We're your hosts. I'm MPS. And I'm Richard James. And Michael, I got to tell you, I know we're always excited. I'm always excited. I mean, that's just me. I love what we do. But I'm really stoked about today's guest because we've watched him now grow his firm on his own, like just taking the information and implementing it like crazy. And he's going to be like at a four timer by the end of this year in just a couple of years. And, and yeah, he's still running like crazy, but there's so much to learn from what Jonathan Breeden has done. And I can't wait for our guests to hear from him today. What do you think, Michael? Oh, absolutely. This is a great picture of, uh, well, it's crazy how implementation works, right? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Jonathan, super excited to have you on. Welcome on today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this. I've been listening to all the podcasts since it started a few months ago, and I gained so much information from a lot of the people I know on the podcast, people I don't know, and maybe I can add something out there into the legal world that somebody will learn from. Oh, no doubt. You've got a lot to add, and we're super excited to have you on. Thank you for taking the time to listen. That's excellent to hear. And as you know, you've listened, so we're going to start by breaking the ice a little bit. What's, what's something that maybe not everybody knows about you? Yeah, I've, I've thought about this question because I know you ask it to all the guests. And I think what I'm going to go with is I ran for the North Carolina House of Representatives as a high school senior and in, as a college senior at NC State in 1996. I was I, when I started running, I was only 20, but I had to be 21 by the day of the election under the rules of the North Carolina Constitution. And so I had gotten an internship at the legislature in 95 
So I'd worked there every day. So I knew the issues. I knew the players. And so I went back home and it was a 86% Democrat gerrymandered district. So, you know, there was really no chance for a Republican to win. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to run this thing and I'm going to go there and I'm going to talk about the issues that I want to talk about. And so I did. And of course, there's there was no primary. Nobody's going to, no Republicans going to run in this seat back then. And uh, I ran and, and I, I, of course, I didn't win, but I had a great time, met a ton of people, learned a lot about myself, about the public, and it was a lot of fun. So, so I was the Republican nominee for a state house race in 1996 as a 21 year old college senior at NC State. That's interesting. So I was a I was the runner for my college student body president in 1989, and I ran on the premise that the favorite cookie of the menu was chalk peanut butter cookies, but they only had them on Fridays. And so I vowed that we would have peanut butter cookies every day if they voted me in as president. And I remember I had a, a huge following. And I thought for sure I won. And I didn't go down to the ballot box when everybody was voting. And I didn't win. As a matter of fact, I got beat by a landslide. I still believe there was ballot stuffing going on because I wasn't there. But that's my only stint into politics ever. I have never, ever once stepped into a political situation other than my ability to try to run and win student body president. And the only reason I wanted to win student body president is it came with some like stipends. And I thought, oh, that's a great way to make a couple extra dollars. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That's uh, awesome. I have zero experience in, in politics. All I, My only burned experience in politics is I believe that the ballot was stuffed while I wasn't there. But that's uh, <laughs> anyway. Sorry, Michael, uh, to take us off track. No, you're good. You're good. Yeah, I mean, I, I the, the my one introduction into politics, which wasn't even politics, was uh, running for a new member president in the fraternity. And that, that was my introduction to politics. Did you win? I, yeah, I did. <laughs> I gave a good speech. That's what got me the win. Nice. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yes. No, that, that's awesome, Jonathan. That's really cool. So, that, I mean, that was probably quite the experience at 20 years old. It was. And, I, you know, it, it was fun. And, and I knew I really didn't have a chance to win. But the early returns had me winning. And so there was about... 15 or 20 minutes where it was like, oh man, did I actually maybe win this race? Like, and then I couldn't go to law school, you know? So then like, right. like my plan was to go to law school. This was like a, like a hobby, right? It was like right. it, for, for 15 minutes, I was ahead on the early balloting and I had to go, oh man, I like, I can't win this. Like I got to go to law school. <laughs> and of course I didn't. I think I got 44% of the vote or something. So it was Hey, fine. that's great. So, <laughs> That's a great story. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. What, 21 years old and 44% of the votes. I mean, that, that's a solid return there. Well, why don't you, I mean, obviously that's a part of the journey here, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey as a law firm owner, some of the key broad strokes as you went through your journey here. Okay, sure. So, so anyway, I grew up in Laurenburg, North Carolina, which is right on the North Carolina, South Carolina line, about 15 miles from south of the border on I-95. Your listeners have ever been on I-95. They've been to the south of the border. So, you know, a, a, a kind of a, an impoverished area of North Carolina was based on textiles and uh, tobacco. Uh, my father was a CPA. My mother was a nurse. 
I, I made pretty good grades. I was a pretty good student. Went to NC State, which had been my goal. My parents had gone to NC State. They met at NC State. So I go to NC State after graduating high school in 93. I major in political science. I was going to law school. I was one of those people that decided I was going to be a lawyer in the ninth grade. I took the high school civics class that they require in North Carolina, that they require in most places in the country. And, mm-hmm. you know, I read the Federalist Papers and, you know, I'm reading about Hamilton and the ideals of this government and all men are created equal. And this, I had this feeling of justice and and I kind of had that naturally anyway. And so I was sitting there and I had one of those great teachers, you you know what I mean? At the time, a man named Spencer Willard who passed away last year, you know, who really reaches out and touches you. And he was a fascinating guy. He was sort of old school, old school football coach from the sixties, you know, and he really, did a really good job. And I said, okay, at that point, literally I'm sitting there in ninth grade. I was like, I'm going to go to law school and I'm going to go to NC state. That's where my parents went. I'm a huge Wolfpack fan and I'm going to graduate from NC state in 97. And I'm going to graduate from law school in 2000 and I'm going to do all this stuff. And, I, and this is like 1989, you know, so some people have these visions and can execute them and some people don't. So, so I'm not normal that way, but uh, I did go and I went to Campbell's Law School. At that time, it was in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. Now it's in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. And I went there because, well, they let me in, but also because they had a Star Trek Law Firm program that was somewhat renowned and it was a very good practical school. And I knew even before I went to law school that I wanted to start my own law firm. And so I actually went to that law school because it had that program. And I participated in that program all three years I was there. I wrote a business plan. I I learned about marketing. I learned about where to place an office, all of those things from a professor named Rick Rogers, who last I heard lived in Elizabethtown, North Carolina. And he did a really good job of getting us ready to go. And the best part was, and it's a little bit like this podcast, the the thing that made the best part about that program was he would bring back the people I knew that it was in the program with me the year before that graduated, that were out making money, that were being successful. And they were telling their stories like we're going to talk about today. And I'm like, if that guy can do it, I can do it. You you know, like, because in law school, they spend all this time telling you how dumb you are and how you're not very good. And they sort of beat you down a little bit. But I was like, if these guys who are not any smarter than me are having success following this program and doing the things this guy said and taking the same education I got, then I can do this too. And so in 2000, I came here to the suburbs of Raleigh, North Carolina, in Garner, North Carolina, which is where the home of Scotty McCreary is from American Idol and country music. People seem to like him. And I started this firm then, and and I didn't have any help. And for two years, it was just me. And I forwarded the phones to a StarTac flip phone. And I got on every court-appointed list I could get on in Johnston County. So I did the DSS court-appointed list with kids in foster care. I did the child support court-appointed list. I did the misdemeanor court-appointed list. Anything I could to, to be able to get business. And, and I went from there. And so one of the things I had learned that everybody needs to know to this day is you have to keep your overhead low. Because every dime in overhead is a dime you have to make before you get paid. And the person that gets paid last is the attorney. And that was one of the things they sort of instilled in us in that Start Your Own Law Firm program that I have tried to remember in the 23 years of this practice as it's grown bigger and bigger and bigger, is that every dime as I go to add over to whether it's staff or new advertising or a new website, is a dime I've got to make 
before before I get paid and my family gets paid. And I think that's where a lot of firms can make a mistake. So anyway, but so that's how it started. And we've been going from there. We finally hired our first employee, a part-time employee after two years. We didn't get a full-time employee for four years. And the rest is kind of history. You know, what's interesting about that conversation, I've known you for a minute now and we played golf together, spent some time together. I don't know that I ever heard you tell me that you knew you were going to be the owner of a law firm at a very young age. And so that's, yeah. that is a unique scenario. And then you just revealed the fact that there was a unit law school that actually had a program to teach you how to go off and start your own firm, which is something I don't hear. I mean, we talk to thousands of attorneys every year and, and we hear that almost never. And so those two are very rare combinations. But I, I want to come back to your original premise. Like your, mom, your dad was an accountant. Your mom was a, a nurse. And so where was the entrepreneurial spirit? Like, where did that come from that you thought you were going to own your own practice? Did your dad teach you that from a CPA perspective? Like, how did you, why did you right. know that at a young age? Well, my father, you know, when I was younger, was not a CPA. When I was first born, he was in textiles and he had ended up getting laid off in middle management in textiles in the late seventies and Southeast United States and North Carolina where we lived was getting shipped out and getting eliminated. This was the first start of everything sort of going to other countries before NAFTA, I guess, in, in, in the early nineties. And he went back to school to become a CPA and he ended up starting his own a practice. And that's when he truly found happiness in his work. And he still today, he is 77 years old now, and he still goes to work every day. He still loves it every minute of it, working for himself, helping small business owners try to not have to pay more to the government because they're struggling to get by. And, and he absolutely loves it. And so that's what I saw. I, I saw somebody who worked for themselves, who had some success, who just love going to work and you don't always find people who enjoy going to work, but he did. And so I was like, you know, and I was a lot like him and I'm like, you know what, like if you could work for yourself, what better thing to do? And so, you know, in deciding to try to be a lawyer is I kind of felt like I need to do something where you could be an entrepreneur. And I, you know, so the law was something I knew small firm. I'm in a small town. All the lawyers I know are, either solos or in two or three person firms because the town has 25,000 people. And so, so that's where I sort of think I got it from. And I got a ton of advice and I still to this day from my father, because he has watched literally thousands of small businesses succeed and fail. Mm -hmm. And you learn a lot. And he can say, especially early on when I, you know, he would say, I don't know, that's what you need to do. And he hounded on me about, you got to keep your overhead manageable. You have to maintain some level of profitability here or, or you're not going to be able to go forward. And, and he had seen that and he had to manage that in his own firm. And so that's kind of where I got it from. I got to tell you what, when you talk about a value bomb, right? I mean, having one, you know, we talk about the birth lottery and nature versus nurture. So the nature is you were born a certain way. Obviously, you said you, you admit it. You were born a little different. I feel like I was born a little different. You got the lottery there. Then you were born in, a, in the birth lottery that you're in a family where your dad went through his own corporate struggles and then opened his own firm, got to experience what it was like to work in small business, see small business owners, gave you the advice about keeping your overhead low, got into a law firm that also had that teacher that was going to reveal to you the, the same truths and hear from other people the same truths. 
And so you were hammered in at a very young age, the opportunity to understand that profits are better than wages and, and that the way you maximize profits is not only to grow your firm, but to watch your overhead to make sure that you keep your profits as high as possible. And, and I'll tell you, I was raised the same way. We have a similar story. I mean, mine was a grocery store that I was raised in and then a funeral business that I was raised in. And I saw that happening. You know, and my grandfather and my dad kind of managed business the same way. You know, bills in this cigar box, cash in this cigar box. When this cigar box empty, whatever's left in this cigar box, we get to keep. So you better manage this cigar box really tightly. And then, Michael, you were also raised in a family kind of experiencing the same thing. Again, you were born a certain way, but I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I assume since you saw mom and I being running our businesses, you had some similar you know, mindset around this. Is that agreeable? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, just from the start, just watching everything unfold, the idea of profitability was just like second nature to me, right? It's to your point, it's not just growing, but also watching expenses. And so that, that was just like a given. And I obviously, you know, Rich, you and I have talked about this. You see so many companies out there nowadays where you grow for the sake of growth and they could show zero profitability or even worse negative on the balance or the profit and loss. And it makes no sense to me in the world. So I think that right there, Jonathan, that was an extremely valuable lesson. And I'm curious. So, and also I just got to say from the law school perspective, I think that's awesome. One, I've never heard of a law school doing that. And two, just the foresight to be able to pick a law school, get into a law school that does set you up for success in that regard. I think that's invaluable. And so I think that's an awesome lesson in of itself for anyone listening to this. But why don't you tell them, was there ever a point during this journey, like most journeys have, that was a, a challenge point or a frustration? And, and what did you take from it? Yeah, I tell you what, you know, you do this for 23 years and it, and, it, and there have been a lot of challenging and frustration points, especially as we started to grow. And, you know, and now, I, you know, we primarily do family law here in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. And, you know, we started out, you know, my goal was to do criminal defense. That, that was sort of my, my passion. And I did do criminal defense for about seven or eight years. And I was on the court appointed list. And I got to try attempted murder to a jury and stuff like that. And I enjoyed that, but I wasn't getting retained on a lot of criminal cases and the court appointed cases didn't pay that much. But what was coming to me out here in the suburbs were young families that were breaking up who needed divorces, who needed child custody, who needed property distribution. And so I wanted to eat, you know, and I think one thing firms make mistakes on and I very quickly figured out is it, you need to be, it needs to, it, early on, particularly, it needs to be cash and carry. And right. so the things that are cash and carry, family law, criminal law, real estate closings, right? The, these PI cases can take 18 months to get paid on. Bankruptcies, if you're in a 13, can take a long time to get paid on. And so I think a lot of firms come out and they say, well, I'm going to be, you know, John Edwards is a very successful personal injury attorney here in North Carolina. He was vice, he, he ran for president of the United States. He was a U.S. senator. And I'm going to be John Edwards. Well, you know, you can't just be John Edwards because John Edwards spent a lot of time trying a lot of car wrecks and slip and falls and working his butt off before he became John Edwards. And now he has a team that does all that. He only does the million dollar cases mainly. So, you know, you have to keep that in mind. You have to be able to figure out where the cash flow is going to come from. And so I use the court appointed list for seven or eight years to have a base cash flow. And I built a family law practice beside it because that's what was showing up. And I didn't hate it. You know, I could deal with the emotions. I like fighting for children. I liked 
you know, putting, helping families not being completely destroyed, having parents be able to be in their children's lives. And so, so we really worked through that. And then the growth, and, and there's been a lot of bumps and bruises with the growth. We've had a lot of associates come through here uh, over the years. And, you know, we didn't know our numbers prior to, you know, really starting to study and, and get to know Richard James and, and UMPS. We had some general ideas, but until we started to really get an idea of, of what the numbers were, I had this scarcity mindset, right? I didn't believe I could recreate the same number the next month. And I didn't have a ton of savings and I had some short-term debt. And, you know, I'd gotten married in, in 2007 and I had children in 2009 and 2012 and my wife was staying home and she was taking care of the kids and I was trying to build this business and I didn't have a lot of extra. And so it was very stressful to have to wake up at the beginning of the month and have to get to a number. And the thing, I think of the number in, in you know, in 2015 was like 30,000. If I get 30,000, I was good. You know, you know, now we couldn't make our payroll with 30,000. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. But, you know, but I didn't know. And so I, I lived in this constant fear that I was going to go out of business. I was not going to be able to pay my mortgage. My wife was going to have to go back to work. I was going to have to lay off the, the one or two employees I had because I didn't know. I didn't know how many leads I had, how many calls I had. I didn't know how many sets I was doing. I didn't know how many I was converting. And so your mindset as an animal sort of instinct anyway is kind of towards scarcity. And if you don't have information to get off of that, you're going to keep going there. And that's a problem because you're not going to be able to go forward because you, I mean, what you think about, you bring about, you know, thinking grow rich and, and everything that you teach and Blaine Oakers and all that. Because if you're focused on, I got to get a number every month, you're not moving forward. You're that's backwards. And so when you're focused on scarcity, you're not making plans for the future. You're not going forward. And so you're just stuck. And so you have to get unstuck. And the way to get unstuck is through information. I, I, wow. I, wow. <laughs> I mean, let's just like, we could just make that an episode. That's um, the clip. There we go, everyone. That's, that's <laughs> it. We've got the cutout. I mean, you know, you, you, I, Michael will tell you, his brother will tell you that for years I, I told him the acronym FEAR stands for false evidence appearing real, right? But the reality is fear can be healthy, fear can be unhealthy. You're talking about unhealthy fear and false evidence in this particular case means lack of information, right? The false evidence is that you believe you can't consistently facilitate your goals every month because, you, as you said, you don't have the information that you need. And so... So let's boil it down. We've got this attorney listening out there like, okay, that's great. And we're not going to teach too much here, but because I don't want it, we're not going to get into the weeds. But if you had to look this attorney in the eye, who's who just like you is like, man, they're scared to death that like that number keeps getting a little bit bigger every month that they have to meet in order to supply their own personal needs and cover the overhead of the firm. And they don't have any numbers. They're not measuring their leads, their sets, their shows, their hires. They don't know their average client value. They don't know how much money they get down. They don't know their realization rate. They don't know all these things that we now know, right? And to get them there is going to be tough. What's the first thing you want them to do to just start, Jonathan? Like, how do they get started? I think the first thing is if they don't have a website, they need one. Okay. And I think... The, they also, if they don't have a Google My Business page, and I think they've changed the name of it now, but the Google listing that is free, mm -hmm. they need to get that because they have to be findable. Yeah. So, I would so say that, on the number, in order to generate leads, you got to be out there is your message, right? Right. right. Yep. 
And, and I can't and I can't get up, can't tell you how many times I get into a case and there's a lot of lawyers in Raleigh and I don't know them all and they send me something they're in the case and I'm like do I know this person and I google them and I can't find them. Can't I can't find, find a picture, I can't find a website. Like I was like I don't know if I know this person or not. And so so I think that's important um because the other thing is the website will give you how many visitors you have, you know, and you can and google my business will give you how many visitors there and how many clicks. So you can start to get an idea of kind of what the volume is. I think the next thing you should do is get some tracking phone numbers. We use CallRail. It's not that expensive and use some different phone numbers in different places. Have a phone number for the website, have a phone number for Google, my business, your Google, my business listing. You know, if you're doing any other kind of advertising, you know, get three or four phone numbers. They're really inexpensive and there's a dashboard that CallRail has, and it doesn't cost that much. And you can go over there and see how many phone calls you're getting and where those phone calls are coming from. Another thing that it's real easy for people to do if they're starting out or want to do better is answer the phone. The first thing Richard <laughs> Jennings teaches, honest to God, like the first thing he teaches is fix the phones. It was the number one module when I first met you in May of 2020 that I listened to. And I was thought, well, my phones are fine. No, they're probably not fine. And because you have to answer the phone, every call needs to be answered every time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a live person should answer your phone and have some type of script with, even if it's three or four questions to get basic information and tell them that you will call them back. And that is also very inexpensive. Uh, there's Ruby Receptionist, which has gotten to be more expensive. There's Lex Reception, who I use. There's Answering Legal. There are tons of companies out there that will answer the phones. And if you don't have that many calls and they're not getting that many calls, it's less than $500 a month. And, and that will make a huge difference. A website, a Google My Business listing, and just answering the phone calls could possibly double your business in 60 days. You know, it's funny. Yeah. nothing else. I grew that firm in Phoenix from two guys in a room to three and a half million in a couple of years. And people always say, well, how did you do it or whatever? And everything you just said is exactly what we did to the T. I had 175 unique tracking numbers by the time it was all said and done because 90% of our leads came in via the phone. And so I use, and pay-per-click was a huge lead generation tool at that time. And we had landing pages and keywords. And plus we had it's still back in the day, yellow page ads and print ads and newspapers. And we had unique phone numbers for every one of them. And I, I could tell you the reason why we grew while everybody else was not growing is because while everybody else was trying to figure out, you know, how to get their next lead, we were, and they were using the same phone number and no tracking on anything. Like they were using a shotgun approach. We were using a laser beam. I could literally tell you whether the inside cover or the outside back cover of the yellow phone, the yellow pages phone book would convert better. I could tell you what Google uh, AdWords group converted better. I could tell you what newspaper in town converted better. I could tell you once we found TV, what TV ad, what TV spot, what TV time. Everybody gets hooked up on, oh, let's find a repeatable number that matches with a nice little jingle. I didn't care about a jingle. What I cared about was data. And so I had tracking phone numbers for everything and I had landing pages for everything. Now, yeah, is that a little advanced? Of course it was. I didn't go into doing this without knowing a thing or two, right? So I brought that knowledge with me, but that's how we were able to compete. And so to your point, just getting started, start with one phone number, start with a good website, start with a good tracking system and make sure your phones are set up 
to, to make sure that they're fixed, they're converting, they're answered, my gosh, first and foremost, and that you return the calls that come in. Michael, we hear this day in and day out because we mystery shop firms all the time, right? And we, we, we hear phones that are just not being handled right. Yeah, just not being handled right. And it, and it literally brings me to a, just a real quick story. We had friends that were painting, getting their house painted, right? They, they were doing exterior painting on their house. And okay. I can't explain how low the bar is set. So they're like, hey, we reached out to about eight people to get quotes to get the house painted. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, they're like, yeah, we went with this one person. I was like, cool. How did the quotes settle with the rest of them? They're like, well, to be honest with you, we don't know. They didn't answer the phone. And I was like, <laughs> so they're seven, seven of the people you called didn't answer the phone. Yeah, no, they, and they didn't get back to us. It, I, the bar is set so low. So just like, don't underestimate fixing your phones. It's not something to be overlooked. It, it's so simple in theory, but it's something that's often overlooked. So Jonathan, I just, that was a really big point that you just drove home. That makes such a big difference. Right. Yeah. And the, the fourth thing you can do that doesn't cost very much money is get some sort of client relationship manager program. Sure. You know, I started with, you know, I didn't know anything about a CRM or this. Uh, so I started with Clio Grow. I use Clio as my back office thing. And I started with Clio Grow and it did a pretty good job. Lawmatics has got one. You know, these things don't cost that much money. They're often included in what you already have. Clio Grow is an extra few dollars a month. And use that so that you know where the leads are and you're able to track the leads and you're able to sort of follow them. You know, answer the phones. 80, 85% of people aren't going to leave a voicemail. I mean, they're just going to keep calling the next person on the list, whether it used to be the next person in the phone book. Now it's the next person on the Google 10 pack on the on whatever Google search. They, they just on. they just click you know, the next button on right. their phone. That's all they do. Right. Click the next yep. button right. on their phone. But if they get somebody on the phone, even if it's a, a virtual receptionist that says we will call you back and we have your information, they will stop calling because now somebody because they're in crisis. Most people needing lawyers are in crisis. And so they want somebody to help soothe the situation. And so that's what you can do. And you can get a basic CRM, whether it's Clio Grow, whatever Lawmatics has or something else, where you kind of know where the leads are. You know, you're able to follow up with them. You're able to give values to them. You're able to see which advertising is starting to work and what's not working. I had some idea of that before I met y'all in May of 2020 because I had my website company was helping me with some of that. I used Postali out of Columbus, Ohio, and, and they did a really good job and they built me a great website, which has allowed me to grow because now I have all these leads. And so, you know, I ended up coming into your world in the middle of COVID because I had all these leads and I, and I needed, I didn't know what to do, you know, and I, I needed some way to sort of manage them and figure out, you know, I didn't know what positions I needed next. It clearly was outgrowing me and my wife and a, and a secretary. And so, you know, you gave me some pretty good ideas of what I could do and how I could go about doing it. And, and so then we started implementing and, you know, we got a CRM and we started answering the phones and we started doing things the right way. We started calling people back um, and setting appointments and hiring staff. And we, we got, you know, you talk about having a client success manager or client relationship manager. I created that position, which has been invaluable. Somebody that his job is just to make sure the clients are happy and mm -hmm. following up with them and to build that relationship with them. And this is all so important that you, and that, but that's after you got to start with a website, a Google, my business listing, answering all of the phone calls, all of the times and some basic CRM. And then the rest 
will kind of can kind of take care of itself if you can do those things. And uh, well, you know, point is, they'll cause a whole bunch of other problems that you'll then have to <laughs> fix, right? Well, right, right. Good problems to have. But, but if you don't have leads. I mean, that doesn't, we don't go anywhere, right? So none of this works without having leads come in the door. So to your point, if they're not generating leads, you need to start there. If you are generating leads, you need to start answering your phones and tracking. And and yeah, CRM is great. I mean, tech in the legal world has come so far. Back in the day, I said this, I think on a podcast the other day, I mean, I had to put this thing together with like spit and duct tape, you know, the old Rube Goldberg mechanism, right? I mean, it literally like, was two, one system that I just p- pasted together to make work. And don't get me wrong, it worked, but it wasn't pretty. And so now today the software is much more advanced. And so, you know, I, th- these lessons are, oh my gosh. Jeez, so, I mean, so people's ears must be burning from the fire that's coming from Jonathan right now. I right. mean, <laughs> it's great. And Jonathan, as if you haven't given enough, I'm curious, you know, what leads on a, on a daily basis, a weekly basis, your, your success habits? What leads to this continued and sustained success for you? You know, I think, you know, we try to get better every day and we're always trying to get better and we're always trying to figure out how to provide a better service. I mean, really, if you focus on client service and providing a good value, you know, we're charging a lot of money for these divorces and custody and all of this stuff. And people need to get value. And the number one thing clients don't want from attorneys, everybody's like, they want results. No, they want, they want, they want value for what they're paying and they want somebody to listen and they want an advocate. You know, most surveys like results are like fourth or fifth. And if attorneys would just provide a good service, I spend time, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, of course, I listen to your podcast, other podcasts, but I listen to podcasts for people that are Disney people. Creating Disney Magic with Lee Cockrell is one of my favorite ones. There's a There was one out there called Five Star Council, where the guy's an attorney who used to work at the Four Seasons, where you talk about, it's all about customer service and leadership, right? And I try to hammer home to the people that work for me is that we're in the customer service business. We're no different than Starbucks or McDonald's or anything else. The decision to buy legal services is the exact same decision. You buy off a motion, you justify later, but people want a service. And what people expect, they expect lawyers to be Amazon. They click something on their website and it's on their porch in three hours. If they call their lawyer, they expect a call back that day. If they email their lawyer, they're expecting an email back that day. And lawyers just don't do that. And if you could just do that, and it doesn't have to be you, it can be a secretary or a paralegal or somebody to respond to the email or return the call. That will go a long way in providing customer service. And if your customers are happy, I don't actually control the results, right? The facts control the results. Most of the time, the result is in before they ever get here. Are, are they on drugs? Are they drinking too much? They, they cheat on their spouse? Is there domestic violence? Are they a narcissist? Whatever it is. But I do control the service they get for the money they're providing and whether they get an advocate to get the best outcome that is possible based on the facts. And if you do that, that leads to five-star reviews. Five-star rules or reviews are golden in the Google world. It, it makes your website show up more. It gives you better rankings and all of that. And that's where it's at. Focus on the customer and the results. I mean, you need results, but if you're focusing on the customer's happy, the results will be there. You know, just when we thought couldn't get any better, Michael, here he goes <laughs> dropping another value bomb. So listen, Jonathan, 
I, you know, as we bring this to it, you know, and I, I just want to personally say thank you for being on the show for sure. But developing a friendship with you, watching your grow, watching you and your firm grow, you grow as a leader over the last couple of years has been one of the joys of my life. Uh, as a, an EAY finalist, has been a joy to watch you go through that process as well. So you've certainly reached the top echelon in our world as far as understanding this and implementing this. And it, it just seems to be getting better for you. So congratulations to you and all your success. Uh, MPS, what do you want to add in before we cut out for today? I mean, just terrific value today. I, I know we've stated that a lot, but seriously, this was a very good episode and there was a lot that you provided everyone. So I, I appreciate you being willing to share your experience, your journey, your lessons. And I guess one final parting question, Jonathan, is what's got you excited? What's got you fired up today? I, what's got me excited is I've hired three brand new attorneys straight out of my law school at Campbell Law School right there in Raleigh. And they are young and, and they are hungry and they want to serve these families and they want to help these children as much as I do. And watching them and as and they've only been here a month, but watching them start to have success, start to help children, the smile on their face when they come back from court and they know they've helped a child, there, there's no better feeling than that. And just being able to grow them and grow this team and to continue to provide the level of service that we provide for our clients that we think are, feel are far superior to any other level of service in the Raleigh area. That's what's got me excited is, is growing this team, letting them grow, helping more children, helping more families. And, and, and I just can't wait. I, I look forward to coming to work every day, even when it's not always been great and we've had some turnover and stuff like that. It's still mine. I created this. I'm not going to go get a real job. You know, I'm very thankful to, to Richard James, the MPS and Blaine Olkers and, and Bert Diener and Four Eyes and everybody involved in y'all's program and the people I've met through the program and the other mentors in the program. It, it's been a, it's been exciting. And now I'm so happy that I can start to give back. I feel like I've learned enough that I can give back to some of the people that helped me and I can help other people. So, and I'm starting my own podcast and I'm looking forward to that. So it's fun. I mean, this is a ton of fun. I, you know, and people are like, I can't believe you do divorce law, but really it, it, it's fun because if you focus on the children and you focus on providing a good client service, the rest of it takes care of itself. And, you know, and, and maybe in the end you make a little money while you're doing it as well. So that's kind of what's got me excited is these new team members and how excited they are and how they want to help children and how I'm going to help them help children. And it's going to be great. I what love a great it. attitude. Jonathan, if anybody wanted to reach out to you, if they had any questions, please don't give your cell phone number. But if you were, if they wanted to reach out to you and had any questions, where would they best go to do that? Yeah, they can reach out to me at my website at uh, breedenfirm.com. That's B-R-E-D-E-N firm.com. They can also call the main firm number 919-661-4970, or they can email me at Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at breedenlaw.com. And I'd be glad to answer anybody's questions about how I did this the mistakes I've made. There's tons of those. And maybe we'll do this again. I got, I got a lot, a lot more uh, truth bombs I can drop. Yeah. And, you know, but yeah, anybody wants to reach out, I'm an open book about how I did this and it would be glad to help anybody. Yeah. Well, you Man. just do enough podcasts that you know we'll be doing this again. That's just how podcasts yeah, go. Yeah. You get a great <laughs> guest great value. We want to have more conversations. Michael, you want to bring us home? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again, Jonathan. We appreciate you popping on. And to the law firm owners listening, I mean, geez, come on. Uh, you, you just got quite, 
quite a valuable episode here. And look, we love putting our time, money, and resources into doing these podcasts. It's enjoyable for us. If this isn't your first time listening or watching, we'd love you to hit that subscribe or follow button, depending on the platform you're listening or watching on, and show Jonathan some love down in the comments. Just let him know if there's anything you pulled from this. Let us know what that is. We'll make sure Jonathan sees it. But we appreciate everyone for taking the time to listen today. And uh, Jonathan, once again, thank you for taking the time to join us on here. Hey, thanks for having me. Anytime. Appreciate it, everybody. That's the pod.